0: Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyumc.org.
1: Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the U.K. Hello and welcome to the Five Yard Dynasty podcast with me, Richard Cooling. Um, welcome back for another week. So today we're going to be continuing our 2020 season review. Um, so this week we're going to be looking back at some players' values who have, have basically plummeted through the course of the season. Um, so if you missed last week, um, last week obviously talked about players that have risen in value um so what we're doing is i'm looking basically at the dlf adp data from august before the season started looking at where players were valued um, and basically whose value has dropped or, or at least halved in terms of kind of overall value through the course of the year. So the first guy I want to talk about is, um, is quarterback um, and that is Carson Wentz. So in August he was the QB8 in startups and he's currently being valued as the QB23. Um, I do wonder if that uh, could potentially drop even further as we move into sort of February and beyond. Um, so obviously a, a somewhat roller coaster season. Um, so he actually finishes the quarterback 18 in terms of points per game. So he was averaging 17.8 points per game. Um, but, you know, obviously was was, was benched for, for Jen Hurts and didn't even finish the season. Obviously, there's been a, a lot of talk about whether he's going to be traded um, or kind of what's going to happen with him if he stays in Philadelphia beyond this year. Um, so from a contract standpoint, so he's actually under contract until 2024, but there is a couple of potential outs. So the, the Eagles could, could well trade him um, this year. I'm not sure they're going to get a huge amount back for him, um, but they could get sort of a, a mid to late round pick potentially um, for someone to take that contract on. But interestingly, they could actually cut him at the end of next season and save 7 million in cap space. Um so I do wonder if with the new regime potentially coming into Philadelphia, obviously we have heard rumours that um you know the, the, the kind of senior brass within the Eagles feel like he can be saved. But I do wonder if we have a season of let's give Carson Wentz one last chance to see if you know he, he can be the franchise quarterback that they're paying him to be so. Um and if he doesn't bounce back next year, they can cut him at the end of the year, or indeed he's much more palatable to be traded at that point and they might get something better back. Um, and then you've already got your your kind of your second option in Jenny Hurts ready to step in and ready to go. Um, as and when um, he's needed as such. So um so yeah so I think he's certainly an interesting player to watch. Um I, I wouldn't be wouldn't be selling him I wouldn't be buying him at the moment I don't think. Um, you're going to get enough for him if you're selling him. Um, and I don't don't advise buying somebody Um, that that basically you don't know if they're going to be a starter in sort of six months' time. So what lessons can we learn from this? I think, you know, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This is back to the overvaluing young QBs um, who haven't got that kind of prolonged success. Um, I think Carson Wentz, you know, he he was the QB5 overall um, in 2017. He was actually the QB1 in points per game if you take sort of minimum eight games played. Um, but he's not had, you know, two, three consecutive years of, of being a QB1 under his belt. Um, I also think it highlights how the lack of weapons and uh, an offensive line injuries can actually destroy quarterbacks value. Obviously, you know, the Eagles had Brooks go down. Um, they're all pro guard in, in the uh, the preseason. They obviously also lost Lane Johnson and a couple of other injuries on the offensive line. Um but they also had significant issues in, in kind of weapons. You know, um, JJ, I would say, the white side hasn't, hasn't developed like you'd expect a, an early second round pick to do so. Um, Jalen Rager didn't have the rookie year that I think a lot of people would have hoped he did. Um, and I just think it shows that unless you're Deshaun <laughs> Sean Watson, um, you, you really rely on those weapons for fantasy production. So I guess who, who can we look at? potentially someone like justin herbert who you know at the moment is being valued as the sort of qb 5 qb6 in startups um that's not me sitting here saying that i, I don't love justin herbert and if i've got him I'm, I'm very happy but i do just worry that there's gonna be some sort of you know regression to the mean next year and he might not be valued as a, a qb5 and i think a lot of his current value is based on age and as i've talked about a couple of times i do worry about with quarterbacks You know, if they're having 10, 15 years of careers, why are we so obsessed with age? Because, you know, Matt Stafford, 32, 33, um, he's still got probably five years of his career left. So why are we so quick to to cast him aside when there's not many other players that you're going to have on your roster in five years, let alone 15 years? Um, So then moving on to the running back position. So the first running back to talk about is Joe Mixon. So he was being drafted as the RB7. Um, in terms of ADP in August, um, and he's currently the RB19. So, difficult to kind of sit here and and say that he was terrible this year. He was actually RB10 in terms of points per game. He averaged 16.6, but did finish as the RB49 overall. Um, I just think with him, the lessons learned is perhaps that he's being drafted ahead of his production. Um, So, he never finished anything higher than the running back 10. Um, So he was the running back 10 in 2018, averaging 17 and a half points per game, but was being drafted as an RB7 based on the fact that he was going to kind of break out in his fourth season. And I think that, you know, unless you're named Derek Henry, um, you're not really breaking out at that point in your career. And I just wonder if we can perhaps look at those sort of guys and say, okay, you know, show me you've done it before. We're, We're kind of projecting outside of the kind of first couple of years. Um, Obviously, he had that incredible stretch at the end of the 2019 season. um, And I do think that 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 went a long way in terms of him being projected where where he was going. Um, But the lesson to learn here is, is that could we, you know, if we're looking at third or fourth year running backs, I would personally rather be buying someone that has got that level of production, is in a stable, more stable situation than someone that, We're essentially projecting as a mid-career breakout. His kind of interesting his contract situation. So he's under contract until twenty twenty three, but he could be cut at the end of this season, um, and the Bengals will save three million. So I do think it's kind of a make or break season for Joe Mixon in in Cincinnati. I wouldn't be gobsmacked if um, you know we we see a similar level from him again next year if he battles injuries, and then he kind of gets moved on. Um, So potential people that we could be talking about in August that could fit this kind of mould of being drafted ahead of their production. Um, So potentially Josh Jacobs. Um, So he's the RB10 in kind of current ADP. Um, I do worry, he's he's never actually finished as a top 12 running back in terms of points per games. Yes, he's finished as the RB10, but a lot of that is because he's one of the few that has played the full 16 game season. Um, And I just think that this is another running back. You know, Joe Mixon doesn't catch a lot of passes, neither does Josh Jacobs, and I think that he's being perhaps overvalued because he's considered a young back. But actually, heading into its third season, he's he's no longer a young back. And I think when we're talking three, four, five-year kind of pipelines for these guys, you could uh, you could certainly throw him in there. I also think you've got the likes of Miles Sanders that um, that you could throw in that that same tier is Josh Jacobs that are being drafted as a you know an elite dynasty asset but actually haven't proved themselves over the course of a season and certainly aren't aren't young in any anymore in terms of dynasty running backs. So um the next guys I'm going to talk about so these are I guess what I would class as workload-based values. So that's Leonard Fournette and Todd Gurley. So in August, they were the RB19 and RB20, respectively. Um, And currently, Leonard Fournette is the RB35 and Todd Gurley is the RB49. Um, Both, you know, fairly underwhelming seasons. So Leonard Fournette finished as the RB35, averaging 10.2 points per game. Todd Gurley was the RB29, averaging 10.9 points per game. Um, Obviously, Todd Gurley had a decent start to the year, but that was almost purely based on kind of touchdown production. Um, And he ended the season not even the starter on his team. Um, So for me, these guys coming into last season, I was screaming that these are the kind of guys you don't want to be paying for. Because basically, you're not buying talent. You're not buying anything more than that situation. Leonard Fournette, when he was in Jacksonville, the reason people were drafting him in the, you know, Third, fourth round of startups was because they were saying, "Well, he's going to get 300k plus in Jacksonville." The same for Todd Gurley. The only reason he was being drafted high was because he was the only known running back in Atlanta, and people projecting production based on that workload rather than production based on, you know, talent. That's not saying these guys aren't talented. You know, they're both highly drafted running backs, but I think in terms of kind of NFL talent at this point in their careers, you know, they're no longer top 10, 15 options. Um, and what happens, obviously, the you know Leonard Fournette was released by Jacksonville. The um, the workload went away. He signed in Tampa and he was nothing more than, you know, a, a sort of end of bench clogger. Perhaps you felt comfortable starting him in, in the flex and a couple of times, but he was he was basically a, a wasted pick um, and, and he ended up being, as I said, the RB35. Um, and I, I wouldn't think you'd be able to get anything for him in terms of a trade at the moment. Um, and then Todd Gurley is exactly the same. You know, he was being drafted quite high based on the fact that he was that workload. And now what are we looking? I did a startup recently where I think he went in the 14th round. Um, basically, no, nobody wants him. I don't think you could give him away in terms of a trade. And I just think as we're approaching startup season, as we're approaching kind of these situations where you're you're going to have some decisions at that sort of RB2, you know, again, that sort of round four or five range. And I just worry that if you're drafting guys that have got low ceilings, but you're drafting them based purely on kind of workload, I think you could potentially be disappointed um, because I don't think the quality is there. I, you know, the, the types of guys I'm looking at is someone like a, a David Montgomery or a Melvin Gordon. Um, you know, both guys, I think you could chuck in that sort of RB2 range in terms of at the moment. Um, but I do think that their potential to disappoint next year, not perform up to where you're paying for them, and then their value is going to plummet and you won't get any sort of return on investment. Um, this is t- tends to be why I always say, you know, I, I don't want RB2s on my team. I want either a difference maker in terms of, you know, a a top 12 to 15 option, or I just want loads of kind of cheap, available running backs that, you know, someone like a Jeff Wilson this year who, you know, sat on my bench. I didn't touch him, didn't do anything. But when there was injuries and he was the starting running back, he was a really good option to chuck in as a flex and and produced well. Um, I don't want to pay up in a startup or in a trade for guys like a David Montgomery um, a Melvin Gordon, even someone like a Devin Singletree, stuff like that. Um, so that's that's that. Uh, moving on to the wide receiver position. So the, I guess the guy who's, who's lost value the most, um, I'm going to claim this as a little victory lap because I was calling him a must sell before the season, um, is going to be Michael Thomas. So he was the wide receiver one in startups in August. Uh, he's actually a top six pick in terms of most startups. Uh, he's currently valued as the wide receiver 10. Uh, to be honest, I would be shocked if he was going still at wide receiver 10 in terms of February ADP. I think his price is about to drop even more. I think, you know, I've got him, I think, in the sort of 17 to 18 range, and I, I wouldn't be shocked if he was falling possibly as low as 20 in terms of current startups. Um, so he finishes wide receiver 95 overall, um, he put up 12 points per game. Um, in terms of his contract situation, so he is actually under contract until 2024. Um, But the Saints could move on from him at the end of next year um, and save seven million. I do wonder, though, with the Saints cap situation, he is a prime candidate to have um, his contract restructured, have some of that cap pushed into 2022 and beyond uh, and kind of guarantee some more money for him in order to free up some cap space for them this year. So he he could well be in New Orleans um, a little bit longer. Um, so what, what lessons can we learn? So basically, Michael Thomas coming into the season, he was the wide receiver one. The only place for his price to go was down. He was um, you know, approaching that sort of 27, 28-year-old age cliff that we talk about for wide receivers. His quarterback was likely retiring, it was likely to be his final year. Um, so he was an unknown back situation and um, you know I talked about it a lot before the season I'm not going to go over in huge amount of detail now but the only place you you know his price would go was down so for me if you were looking to maintain max value on your roster he was absolutely a must sell so what lessons could we learn I think I hate to say it but the obvious the obvious person to talk about is Devontae Adams Um, so he is approaching you know the same age cliff that we talk about With uh, with Michael Thomas, the quarterback situation. So, you know, I I don't like talking about it because I think Aaron Rodgers is coming off an MVP season. But I do think, you know, the Jordan Love situation is looming over this all. There is a potential that he could, you know, have a new quarterback in 2022 when Aaron Rodgers' contract becomes movable. When Jordan Love, you know, after two years of sitting, is, is starting to potentially push for that starting spot. and. I also think, you know, Devontae Adams, he's coming off a historical season with, quite frankly, unsustainable touchdown production. You know, his, his touchdown numbers are absolutely obscene this year. Um, and he's he's being drafted as a wide receiver one. Um, the only place for his price to go is down. Um, so I'm not saying that Devontae Adams is a must-sell because I think the situation is a little bit different than uh, Mark Thomas was last year because I do think there is potential that Aaron Rodgers could be around a little bit longer. And I think that Devontae Adams gained you know, where it's that elite red zone option could potentially age a little better than Michael Thomas. Um, but I do think if you're not a contender um, heading into next year, then yes, you need to sell Devonte Adams now because I think in the next nine to 12 months, the only place his value is going to go is down. Um, and I do think as we start to get into, you know, April, May, when people become obsessed with age in the dynasty community, um, you will start see times potentially drop down, sort of wide receiver three, wide receiver four, as the likes of AJ Brown and DK Metcalf and Justin Jefferson start to get drafted ahead of him. And the next guy I want to talk about is Julio Jones. So he was drafted as the wide receiver thirteen in August, and um, it's currently being valued as the wide receiver thirty-six. Um, so in terms of production, he actually had a decent year in terms of kind of points per game. So he was wide receiver 14 in points per game, averaging 16.2 points. Um, but because he had you know, a few injuries and, and missed a few weeks, he was actually the wide receiver 52 overall. Um, in terms of his contract situation, so he's actually under contract until 2023. Um, the Falcons can't really cut him until after next season. Um, when they'd save three and a half million in cap, if they did. Um, I know, obviously, when Murph is on the pod, we talked about he's fairly confident that uh, that Hugo would be traded um, to another team because of the Falcons' cap situation. Personally, I, I really disagree. I think that they're going to, you know, bring everything back and basically have have another go at, you know, being a Super Bowl contender with a, a new regime in fold. Um, so I do think that, you know, he could potentially um, have another year or, or maybe two in Atlanta. So why did his kind of value drop? And, it, you know, it was, as I was talking about Michael Thomas, it's, it's the age cliff. Um, the reason he was being drafted at wide receiver 13 and, and not higher was because people were projecting, you know, the drop in kind of you only got a year or two left of production. Um, obviously, that happened a little bit quicker with the injuries. Um so for me, this, this is kind of a, a question in that when you're drafting guys in this range, you're almost doing so, it's a balance note, you're drafting them there for instant production, knowing that the value is going to drop off. Um, you know, you you look in current current kind of startup ADP, you've got John Joe Hopkins is the wide receiver nine he's 28 you know he's being drafted there because of that potential value drop off you've also got the likes of Keenan Allen um, you know you can even drop down as far as Adam Thielen who's 30 um, you know those are guys that you're basically drafting for one maybe two years of production knowing that you're not going to get any return of investment and I think that's fine as long as you know that and can build your kind of rush structure to do so You know, the likes of these guys aren't going to be on your roster in two, three years and you're certainly not going to get any return on investment. It's basically you're buying them or or drafting them purely for production, knowing that they're going to be a kind of a sunk cost in a year or two. So I guess the the, moving on to the next position is the, the kind of flip side of this in terms of Zach Ertz. So he was drafted as the Titan 5 in August. He's now being valued as the Titan 18. He obviously had an awful season in terms of production um, and injuries. He was tight in 31. He averaged seven points a game. Um, to be honest, if you paid up for him, you were you were pretty disappointed. Um, this is the flip side of the age cliff in that he was being drafted as a tight five. People were hoping for that one or two years left of production, and basically it all went wrong for him this year, and and he didn't produce. So interestingly, I, you know, I, I talked about it in my article that came out earlier this week is that I think he's probably going to be a cut candidate. I think he could find himself in a better situation, in an interesting situation. Um, and I do wonder if he could potentially produce still over the next year or two. But I just think this is the kind of um, opposite side of that age cliff that, you know, when you're buying a, an ageing player, you need to accept that, that that age cliff could come sooner than you think. And I think that that's something as dynasty players we need to be kind of building for. If you've got one or two of these guys on your roster, you already need to be thinking about how you're replacing them moving forward. And I would never advise, you know, having a a complete all-in strategy where you have four, five, six of these guys on a roster. Because yes, you might win the title this year, but come next year, you're going to be, you know, have, have nothing of value. Um, to sort of build so I think yes you know you you can have a couple of these guys on your roster but certainly not an absolute multitude of them so what lessons can we learn again at the tight end position you know it's about do you want to take that risk in terms of current production versus um, kind of potentially sunk cost I think the guys that you can throw in there is, is obviously you know Travis Kelsey he is 31 he is incredible in terms of his level of production. His kind of points above replacement at the tight end position is won a lot of people leagues last year. But that potential age cliff is coming. And I do think, yeah, you know, if I'm sitting here and saying, do I think Travis Kelsey's still going to be a, a top five tight end in three years' time? Yes, I probably do think that. But I also think that people said that about Zach Ertz last year. And I do worry that this age cliff could come sooner rather than later. Um, and it's certainly you you sort of don't see it coming almost so it's it's not a you know let's go out and sell Travis Kelsey but it is certainly a a something to keep in the back of your mind um, that 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 cliff could be coming sooner rather than later so if you own Travis Kelsey you know let's start to look at potentially replacing him in two or three years time obviously we've got you know a plethora of of really young up-and-coming potential tight ends you know so it seems like we say this every year but you've got the likes of Cole Komet or Irv Smith who could potentially break out next year I think you've also got an incredible tight end draft class um, so obviously you've got Kyle Pitts um, I did a nice thread on him um, on Twitter early in the week he could be a complete difference maker at the position but I think you've also got Pat Frim, um I always get his surname wrong, and obviously Brevin Jordan as well, who I think is com- both being completely under the radar um, because Colpitts is being valued so high. Um, so yes, you know, let let's start to think long term about replacing those aging assets um, before the the kind of age cliff appears. Um, so that is it for this week. Um, so please do. Give us a rating and review on iTunes um, for those of you who haven't, and um, that does really help the podcast overall. Um, also, obviously, hopefully, you've seen the uh, the latest um, giveaway that we're running in association with Hickories. Um, so it is a um, a giveaway for the the Super Bowl. Um, you need to be following Five Yard Rush and Hickories on Twitter and tag two people in the post. Um, it is the pin post on the Five Yard Rush account. So please go ahead and do that. Um, I'll be back next week. So back with a guest pod next week. We've got Nick joining us. We're going to be talking about his um, five players that he would love to build around um, in a dynasty roster moving forward. Um, for those of you are, please give me a follow on Twitter I'm at Dynasty Island and you can also follow the Dynasty podcast that is at 5yard Dynasty have a good week and we'll speak to you next week